Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Welcome to episode 61. This time, Pippin and I will be talking to Devin Walker. We'll get into what Devin does. We'll talk about collaborating on open source projects. And we'll discuss the GitHub pricing changes. But first... This episode is sponsored by WP All Export, which is a powerful export plugin for WordPress that provides a simple drag and drop interface to make it easy to export data from posts, pages, users, or any custom post type in WordPress, such as WooCommerce products or orders to an XML, CSV, or Excel file. The plugin allows you to organize the file however you want, include or exclude data so that you can build the precise CSV or uh, export file that you need. WP All Export also has a sister product called WP All Import that allows you to then import that data back into WordPress. So if you want to export data, make some changes to it, and then import it back in and make updates to your data, you can do that very easily. You can find out more at wpallimport.com slash export. Be sure to thank them for their sponsorship. Awesome. Thanks. All right. So uh, we have Devin Walker joining us today. Uh, Say hi, Devin. What's up, guys? Awesome to have you on the show. We want to talk about a few things today. First, we want to hear a little bit from you about what you do, how you got started in development, et cetera. Uh, and then we're going to get into some other subjects. So first, if someone was to ask you what you do, what do you tell them? I would say right now I am a WordPress plugin developer. Okay. And what are for people that are other WordPress uh, users or developers, what are the products that you build or what's the company that you're involved with? Definitely. So my company's name is WordPress, uh, wordpress.com. And our flagship product is called Give, and it's a WordPress donation plugin. We have other products as well on the WordPress side. Our second is uh, Maps Builder Pro, and then we have a WooCommerce uh, extension called Quick Checkout. Give us a little bit of history on WordPress. I believe that there, there are a few other people involved with that. So maybe who are they and how long has WordPress been around and maybe how did it come to be? Yeah, definitely. So uh, when I stepped out of kind of the agency world uh, back in 2011, 2012, I wanted to focus more on Word, uh, WordPress and uh, do freelancing. And at the time, I only had the the, uh, the domain name wordimpress.com. I, I didn't get the word impressed without the ED at the end until later. But I just started as a, a blog where I would write tutorials and code snippets about what I found out when I was working on various client sites in my freelance gig. So, you know, I did freelancing for two to three years. You know, I I had some uh, chops at that point. I I wanted to, you know, develop a plugin, see if I could get something working there. And the perfect opportunity was uh, with the Yelp API, there wasn't really a good plugin to pull in reviews for restaurants, for other websites, for any business really on Yelp. So I went and set forth to build uh, Yelp Widget Pro, which is still in the WordPress.org repo. And people seemed to like it. And then kind of after that, I was addicted. I came out with uh, Google Places reviews and just continued doing a couple more uh, little widget plugins like that. You know, built a little business out of it, um, continued blogging, had the opportunity to get the domain name without the ED. So I paid for that, redesigned it a couple of times. You know, then finally had enough uh, revenue generated to kind of start a business out of it. So when you started, you said around 2009 or 2011? Uh, 2011, 2012, yeah. 
What was your first version of WordPress that you started actively working on? Uh, actively working on was pre-custom uh, post types. I believe it was 2.8, I think, was the version I started. So I started with WordPress around 2009. I think that's exactly when I started. Okay, so you guys have uh, several of your large projects now. You have GiveWP, you have WooCommerce Quick Checkout, and you have Maps mm-hmm. Builder Pro. Are those the three big ones now, or there have there now been others as well? Uh, those are the three big ones. The biggest one is Give. That's one we are spending most of our time on and focusing on building out even more so. Uh, we really like the nonprofit space, helping people out, helping people raise money. Uh, there's been lots of great stories of people using our our plugin to raise funds. You know, for example, there's three uh, college students riding their bikes across the East Coast right now to raise money for women's education in Africa. So, you know, that's just one of a couple stories that we've highlighted. And, and it really is kind of like a, a good thing to see that. And I like that space a lot. Something I've enjoyed watching, I've, I've kind of paid attention to give since it first started. And I've really enjoyed watching you guys not only build a good product, but also highlighting those success stories with it. I think that's a really valuable and a really excellent way that product creators can not only take pride in their work, but also help show how it's making a difference. So props on that. Thanks, man. Uh, with that, why give? So what is it? what led you guys up to building give and to start focusing on nonprofits and donations and stuff. It seems like an, kind of an interesting jump to go from Yelp reviews, Google places, which are <laughs> definitely very similar types of products, then going into e-commerce with uh, the WooCommerce Quick Checkout plugin, and then going to, to give. So is there some kind of timeline or sequence of events that got you there? Or was it just following things that you guys were interested in? No, there was definitely a sequence of events that led to uh, the creation of Quick Checkout, first of all, and then which morphed kind of into the bigger picture of our own platform. So when I was freelancing, I was doing a lot of work for this agency um, called SoundPress, no relation to WordPress, except for they used WordPress a lot. And so they, they primarily focused on churches and nonprofits as well. And these nonprofits would always have these specific needs. For instance, the checkout has to be on one page. You need to donate directly on that page. So we're like, okay, you know, we could use Gravity Forms, but they want all the nice reporting and all that. And at that time, there wasn't much of a solution for Gravity Forms on that. So we said, okay, we'll use we'll use WooCommerce and we'll figure out a way to get the checkout on one page, kind of make a landing page for people to donate right directly on that page. So we developed a you know, kind of a prototype, which was the early versions of Quick Checkout, mainly to accept donations on these websites. And it worked pretty well. I mean, there, you know, there's a number of sites still using it to collect donations, but it still didn't fulfill that need. On the back end, they'd go in, they'd see an e-commerce platform, they'd see product where they would want it to say donation form. They wanted to swap. They didn't want it to say price anywhere. Um, so we were really taking this behemoth of a e-commerce engine and forcing it into something that it wasn't really. And the client ultimately in the end wasn't too happy with. They wanted something that was a little more tailored to their situation. And at the time, uh, there really wasn't anything like that um, that we were happy with. You know, being a longtime fan of yours and seeing the code base that you've written and, and developed over the years, we thought it was kind of was a perfect segue into what we wanted to create with Give. 
can definitely uh, sympathize with that experience of using a product, like using it for a purpose other than what was created. So you mentioned how WooCommerce for donations, while it works perfectly fine, it's not built for that. And so the client goes in and looks and says, well, what's up with all this product stuff? I don't need that. We had a very similar experience in, in EDD where we had people using it for crowdfunding and you had all of this digital download stuff and other product related features and they just didn't fit within that model. That reason right there is one of the reasons I was really thrilled when you guys created Give because there wasn't, there really wasn't a product that fulfilled that niche in the WordPress market. Give has been very successful for you guys. It's a great product. You guys have been expanding a lot. Can you tell us a little bit about the business model of Give? It's a free plugin on.org. Tell me yeah. the rest of the story. Definitely. So we set up a similar, you know, free base plugin on WordPress.org, like you said. Uh, you know, it's not crippleware at all or or not lacking any critical features. So, you know, it's very robust and, and it includes uh, PayPal standard and offline donations out of the box. But wherein you need, uh, you know, additional functionality, you want to accept credit cards on your site, maybe you want to create subscription donations or generate PDF receipts, then you're going to come to our site and purchase either an add-on or we recently rolled out bundles. So you can sign up for a number of our bundles and get access to all of our add-ons, um, which is a new as of two weeks ago. And, and people have really been liking that ability to kind of get everything under one payment. And then you have access to the features you need and as well, you can access our priority support from there. You know, it's been really successful for us so far, and uh, we th we think people like the the way we're selling it. Now, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Give was actually originally a fork of EDD. Is that correct? That is correct. One of the things that I like about Give is, for a moment, ignoring everything that Give is built for, the donations, et cetera. I think it's great because, in my mind, it's the perfect example of what a fork should be. I remember when when you guys first launched Give, there was some some negative reviews and comments saying, like, you guys forked EDD, what are you doing? Mm. Um, like, that doesn't seem right. In my mind, that was a little unfortunate because I think it's actually the perfect example of what a fork should be in that there was EDD, which provided this platform, and you want to do donations, but they weren't quite the same thing. And so it's actually doing exactly what a fork should be and going a different direction, but starting from an existing foundation. Is that the kind of the way that you guys looked at it as well? Absolutely. We thought about it for a while to be strategic in the way we built this. And, you know, we had a very small team, uh, me primarily being the developer on it. And I decided, how can we develop the best product in the shortest amount of time? And EDD was nearly identical to what we wanted. We did some different directions on some of the code base. For instance, for the settings, we used CMB2. And then we used some of the templating from WooCommerce and some tidbits from uh, Gravity Forms and, and Yoast. It's awesome. It's, it's actually, it's not just one fork. It's like four forks combined. <laughs> yeah. It. yeah. It's great. Plus our own little dash of code in there here, you know, every. Oh, every I'm, and you know, as, as the product continues, I mean, it's going to eventually it won't even be recognizable as a fork. So right. Is there still overlap with EDD, WooCommerce, Gravity Forms, and, and each piece that were forked from the other projects? Is there still overlap there? 
Yes, mainly with the uh, templating uh, of WooCommerce, and there's a lot of overlap still with EDD. For instance, our you know we're upgrading the payment system to your new payments class, you know a forked version of that um, because it's just a so much better way to handle payments, as I'm sure you found out in EDD. Yes. So you know we we look at that and we'd pay close attention to your repo and and, and you know submit a PR here or there where we can, but, you know, things like that really catch my eye and, and say, Ooh, well, this makes me really happy that we do share such a similar code base. So, so this is really leading nicely into what we really want to talk about here with you, Devin, and that's some open source collaboration. And so mm-hmm. like collaboration between open source projects. So EDD is open source, give is open source. And I think Give has provided a lot of really nice examples of how open source projects can work independently, but still collaborate. So like the, the, the payment one you just mentioned. So recently uh, in our last major release for easy digital downloads, we introduced a new class for a payment object. So EDD payment and this completely reworked how, how payments are stored in the database, how you interact with them, some, some helper API methods, et cetera. The fact that you guys are able to now take that and apply it to give is awesome. We recently had some experiences working together on an add on add ons. Can you kind of tell us about the story for any for everybody that's listening, the, the recurring payments experience? I thought it was a great experience. You know, when we released give, we we didn't release it with uh, recurring donations or in your case, subscriptions. And people were really knocking down our door for that. And, you know, we looked at the current EDD add-on and the state that it was in, it wasn't really release ready. In our opinion, it couldn't handle certain functionalities that we deemed were necessary for our customers and we knew what they would expect. So we reached out to you and, you know, you said you had big plans for this and, uh, and, we wanted to make sure we could accelerate that process as, as quickly as we could. We, you know, it was a high priority number one for us. And so what, what we did was we collaborated together on specific portions of the recurring subscriptions extension, which is now available for easy digital downloads. And, and we basically football back different functionalities and, and it worked out really well. I thought we released it a lot, you know, faster than we could have on our own. That's a definite positive right there. It was a cool experience for sure. So I think one of the reasons that this was the, we were able to do this, have you guys help us build the new recurring payments plugin for EDD while simultaneously building it for give was because the platform shares so many similarities due to the forked nature of it. I think it was a great experience being able to see, not just see, but have outside developers working on a similar project contribute to the same code base and going both directions. So you guys contributing to us, we contributing to you. I think it's a uh, something that open source projects can, can really take advantage of, especially when they share similarities. Uh, do you think that there's any significant challenges or anything else that you want to throw out there? One thing that I've, you know, always kind of thought about and when we released, you know, last year at WordCamp, you know, a month after WordCamp San Diego 2015, and your response was very positive. And there was a minor bit of, you know, flack from the community, not much at all. For the large part, it was um, positive. But 
if you decided to kind of go a different direction and kind of give us, I know you wouldn't, but if you, for instance, had thought about that, it, and I don't think we would have been, you know, where we're at today without your support and your backing. Actually, I know you, I wouldn't. And I just kind of want to commend you for that and, and say that, you know, we've always continually thought about that and been thankful for that. Well, absolutely. I think that's one of the beauties of open source that we get to take advantage of. And I think it should be, should be recognized. And that's having someone fork, fork your work. It doesn't matter whether it's a little project or a big project, whoever it is, is one of the, I think, a great compliment. And I think it's silly that people get so up in arms about it. Sometimes people champion open source all the time. And then the moment that it's actually utilized and split into a new project, sometimes people get up in arms and that's too bad. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's go back to the, our collaboration process and talk a little bit more about what that looked like. So we had a recurring payments plugin that we were working on building and you guys had a give WP recurring payments plugin that you were working on building and they were kind of built up at the same time. What did that look like? Well, I think once you had that base recurring subscriptions class in place, it really let us run with uh, building out various gateways. For instance, it let us uh, build out PayPal. And I think we did authorize, at least the base of authorize too. Um, and then you guys were able to do two checkout. And I believe WePay is in the works currently. Stripe as well. I think we both kind of did a bunch of Stripe. So once you were able to kind of get that backbone for us, it really allowed us to kind of run with it. And then, you know, we knew we wanted emails. I looked at how software licensing handled, you know, things like license renewal email reminders. And, you know, we, we wanted a similar thing in, in give subscriptions or, or EDD subscription payments. And, and so that was just a perfect way to fork another extension that you had already written and, and repurpose some of that code for, for some of the needs of this subscriptions add-on. So probably most importantly was collaborating to build the backbone and then mm -hmm. being able to split off from there and build everything that was kind of unique to each project. So you guys have things that are unique to give. We have things that are unique to EDD, but we share that same backbone. And, and that's really where collaboration happened and was able to, to apply to both projects equally. Right. Before um, that was ready, we were really kind of hard pressed to find ways we could effectively collaborate. But as those, you know, different classes came into place and we were able to extend them, it really let us kind of fly after that. Did you guys ever use submodules or anything like that to sync changes over, or was it just manually copying back and forth? Uh, no, not too much. It was a lot of you know comparison and pull requests, things like that. This is kind of an open-ended question, but is is there something here that you think listeners can take as a, maybe a a tidbit or tip of the day for helping with open source collaboration and collaborating between two similar projects? Any anything at all that? that you learned or you think that we learned from this process? I know this was the first time that I had ever done this with someone else. And so it was definitely a learning experience for me. Well, I mean, this is kind of obvious, but I think communication is really important. You know, the fact that I was able to ping you on Slack or we got on a hangout, I was able to record your explanation of how the give or the EDD subscriptions class works. And then I was able to go back and refer to that when it was kind of questioning some methods or, or wondering how a certain function worked. And just having that, you know, knowledge base and 
be able to go back and forth and collaborate on GitHub issues as well uh, was really helpful. I think that for for me, the two most important things that you just said there is make number one, making sure you have active communication, but two, making sure there's a history of that communication that you can reference later on. I definitely found that to be very, very true, not just in cross-project collaboration, but also like within our own teams and with anybody who, if we're working with external people, that making sure that any communication you have, number one, that it's open and, and easy to have, but two, that it's accessible later on. So whether that the discussion happens in GitHub issues or recorded conversations or or where have you, it doesn't matter. As long as you can go back and, and reference that is, I think, very important. Right, right. Which is like Slack's whole business model, right? I should probably go sign up and pay for it now. <laughs> so speaking of, of business models, maybe it's time to go ahead and get into the next subject that we wanted to cover, which is related to, to GitHub's new pricing that they announced yesterday. So we've been talking a little bit about open source collaboration and GitHub yesterday, uh, GitHub obviously being a platform that is huge um, and it's hugely used for open source collaboration. They announced their new pricing yesterday. And I think we all have opinions on how this affects either positively or negatively open source collaboration. And so we'd like to get into this and Brad, we'd like to bring you into this conversation now. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back yeah. for the drama now, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Brad, do you want to give everybody who's listening a quick overview of the pricing changes that GitHub made for anybody who hasn't seen the blog sure. post from them? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple. Uh, it used to be the pricing was based on how many private repositories you had. So, I can't, I don't know the exact numbers, but, you know, if, if you had 10 repositories, I think it was, you know, 25 bucks a month or something like that. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And now the new pricing, the old pricing is still in effect. Everyone can still, uh, that's on the old pricing can stay on the old pricing for now. They've, I think they've guaranteed 12 months at least that the, the old pricing will still be around, but they're not guaranteeing anything after that. So the new pricing is per user per month. So if you have an organization, uh, you can have unlimited private repositories, but you have to pay $9 per user per month or $25 a month for your first five users, which I just realized that's more money if you've only got two people in your organization than $9 a month <laughs> per user. Yeah, right. Uh, very interesting. I, I think... I think they're trying to make more money. It might, it kind of seems, doesn't it? Mm. So free, well, you know, I mean, ultimately that's always the goal of a pricing change. Either you make it cheaper so that you get more customers because you can't get enough, or you make it more expensive so that you get more money out of those customers. Yeah, ultimately. yeah, exactly. So private repositories are now free for personal users. You can have as many as you want, but if you are an organization, the pricing that you pay for those private repositories is now a little bit different. Another thing we should probably clarify is what, what constitutes a user. And I believe they just added this. Uh, so I'm pretty sure the blog post didn't have this information the first time I read it. Because I think they added this. I missed this. it the first time, too. I found it in the FAQs later. Yeah, I, I, th I think they may have added that after the fact. But anyways, um, an, a user is anyone that's a member or an owner of the organization. Anyone who's a pending invitation... So like if you invite someone to your organization, but they haven't joined yet, it still counts as a user. 
which I think is kind of crazy. That's a little iffy. That's crazy. Um, and then outside collaborators with access to one or more private repositories. And to qualify what outside collaborators means, which I had to do, um, <laughs> it, it just means the way you the way you manage them is different, like via the UI, from what I can understand. Like you can't, an outside collaborator, you can't add it to a team like a team within your organization. So like if you have a team set up with access to certain repositories, it's pretty convenient, right, to just add someone to that team and then they get access to all these repositories. An outside collaborator, you have to go through, go to each repository you want to give them access to and add them as an outside collaborator right. to that repository. Which, you know, can be handy if you just want to give one person access to a single repository. Yes, it is. It's super handy. And that whole that whole uh, construct of an outside collaborator, I just assumed that it wasn't, wouldn't be counted as a seat. That's, that's what I was assumed too, but that's not true. But it's not yeah. true. It's so not I was true. thinking that, uh, you know, somebody with right access to the specific repositories would be counted. That's right. what I would just have read. So if you, like, if you're read only, then you don't count. Oh, I never even thought about that. That's that's a pretty fair. That would be fair, I think. But totally. That's not what it is, though. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I want to give my take on this, and then I'd love to hear each of your guys' takes on like how it affects you, what you think about it. Um, so I think there's some positives and some negatives to it. So first, the positive is that for personal users, excellent. I mean, people that may have gone, may have been paying 10 or 20 bucks a month now they're paying zero or almost zero, and they have unlimited private repositories. That's awesome. From an organization perspective, however, there's some, some drawbacks. So I went and looked at it. We have, I actually have three main organizations. I have a couple others, but we have three that we use. We have one for EDD, one for Research Content Pro, and one for Affiliate MVP. Each one of them is separate. And they have separate teams. There's a lot of back and forth. I mean, there's members that are on each of the teams. But, but anyway, they're each managed separately in terms of billing is the, is the main important distinction. And we have a series of private repositories in each one of them. We have a lot of public repositories, but we have a few private as well. Up until now, it's always been whatever the limit is for the $25 a month plan. So for the last year or, or two years or so, I've paid $25 a month for each of my organizations, my three organizations, so that we can have the 20 or 25 private repositories, whatever it is. And so my monthly bill has been $25 a month for each one of those. I, I decided after the new pricing got announced yesterday to go and see what the Easy Digital Downloads organization will cost with this new pricing if we don't make any changes. And I figured out that it will be around $600 a month, which is more than a 2,000% increase for us. Wow. That's a little hard for me to stomach without having any added benefits. Like there's zero benefits of this pricing change for us, except for a 2000% price increase. So I'll tell you, I'm not particularly thrilled by this. One of the reasons why it's so expensive for us is because we have a ton of outside contributors. Devin, you're a perfect example. We have you in our organization so that you can access the private repositories that we have related to say the recurring payments plugin, software licensing, et cetera. And so now you cost, will cost the organizations $9 a month as well as the other 25, 30, 40 people that we have in there that are both customers, other developers collaborating, and that they're there so that they can submit an occasional pull request or bug fix, but are not necessarily working on it every single day. 
And that, I don't know, to me, that was pretty hard for us to accept. Yeah. It doesn't feel like you should have to pay for those, those contributors, right? That are not contributing every single day. And they're not part of your organization. They're outside contributors. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel right. And some, just semantically, just saying those the words, like it just doesn't fit. It doesn't feel like it fits. It, it's funny, though, because if you look at the value, if you just look at the value that you get out of GitHub, I thought about this before the pricing. I, I have thought about this before the pricing uh, increase or the pricing change. Uh, that that we are paying not nearly enough for GitHub right now. Like I, I would have gladly paid ten times uh, as much, a hundred times as much is pretty. That's stretch. That's a stretch, right? But I, I'm I'm with you 100 percent there. And I honestly, 25 bucks a month for what we get is pennies, like for the value provided. Even I actually wouldn't even have that much of an issue paying $500 a month because the value, I mean, we get more than $500 a month of value out of GitHub easily. It is, it's more the principle of changing for existing customers without changing the value for them to justify that change. Mm -hmm. Are either you guys affected in similar ways? So I'll start. We're not, we're not that affected. We're not nearly as affected as, as much as you. The biggest impact for us is the, uh, I've got a, a WooCommerce software subscriptions that I've talked about on the show several times. And honestly, that that's actually where the outside contributors have come from, from people that have heard me talking about it on this on this show. And then they just send me a message. It's a private repo because I don't want us to have to support it. So they send me a message and I give them access to it. And so I've got, you know, over a dozen people on there, which I mean, for a project that I'm not charging for <laughs> i don't really want to have be paying nine dollars a month for 12 people um for that's for actually about 20 about 100 dollars a month actually more than it'd be like 120 with yeah the new pricing i'm just giving them access for you know uh, because i can because why not right. share that code right but at the same time i don't want to public make it publicly available because well, i don't want the support like, let's it. say that you decide to let's say that i find a bug in wp MicroDB pro and you decide to give me access so i can submit a pull request and let's assume that that's the only pull request i ever give you you're going to pay nine dollars a month for my access perpetually for that one bug fix Right, but I wouldn't have to pay for it perpetually, right? No, you wouldn't. But it, I mean, that's the way that it works. Like just me having access to it, even though I'm not contributing on right. an ongoing basis. Right. So I'd give you access. You'd submit the thing, and then and I then, then I'd revoke your access, which is also feels wrong. Like yeah, it does. Yeah. 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 So Devin, how about you? Are you guys affected by this? Uh, like Brad said, not nearly as much as you. I think we have 20 collaborators in our in our um, GitHub, and we're on the hundred dollar a month plan for I think up to a hundred private repos. But you know, I do agree we're paying a little less than we should for it. You know, it's more than just a, a repository. It's a project management system. It's it's a social network in a way, and it's gamified as well. If you look at your profile page, you know, I, I'm a number of in, in a number of different organizations, I have their badges on there. It's it's kind of gamified in that way. And I, I'm really worried that this is kind of going to stifle some of the collaboration a lot. You know, if somebody has to go and allow a PR to a private repo, revoke access, you know, it's just going to over time break down. And I don't think it's going to be sustainable. I think they their vision 
of what a private organization is really isn't in alliance with open source. No, I don't, I don't think it is. For example, what we're going to start doing, I mean, at least once we're forced to change to the new pricing, is if a customer comes to us and says, hey, I found a bug, I'd like to submit it to you, we're going to say, send us a patch in the email. Whereas before we would say, hey, what's your GitHub username? Not a problem. We'll add you in. Great. That's just not going to happen anymore. Um, yeah, which I, I think, think is unfortunate. So that is the biggest issue, right? So, so why don't they just not do that and just charge us more for the users that are part of our organization that are not outside contributors? Like we're willing to pay for the value. So why not just well, change? You know. You know? One problem with that is then you people game the system and make everybody outside contributors, even though they're actual in-company contributors, which is a problem. What right. I would like to see, but that is could be a, a management nightmare for most organizations, right? Oh, I'm sure, but you know, people would still do it because, yeah. What I would like to see is to change is for it to be similar to Help Scout's pricing. So Help Scout prices you by the user, but only if they're active. So if a user becomes inactive, and I think Trello does the same thing. Okay, we'll, we'll stick with Trello because I know they do. If you have an, a user and you pay for that user because you're on the, their gold plan and it's user-based pricing and that user becomes inactive for a month, they are not charged for that month. They're only charged if they are active. And I'd have no problem with that kind of system. So in order for a user, a collaborator to a private repository, in order for them to affect the billing rate, they have to leave comments, commits, open issues, or something in a time period. So only if they're active. I'd be completely okay with that because then having a bunch of bystanders sitting there doesn't hurt me. Yeah. But paying for bystanders is, to me, just is very wrong. So let me understand this read-only idea. So that was one thing you guys mentioned earlier that I hadn't thought of is that so anyone that just has read-only access would to a private repo wouldn't be counted as, as a member of the organization. So that, that would still allow them to submit pull requests because they could clone the repo to their own side and then submit the pull request, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So, that, so, so they just wouldn't be able to open a branch on like the main repo, uh, like a member of the organization. I think that... It would, it would be just like any other public repository that right. is... I think they'd end up losing money, though, because I don't know how many people have uh, right access to your uh, easy digital downloads. But for uh, Give, it's only, I think, two two people. Oh, really? You have right access. Oh, oh so really? even even your so even people within your organization just clone the repo and do PRs that way. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, I like the history of PRs anyways as well. Well, we do PRs as well, but we, we all have right access to the main repo and we, we open our branches on that main repo just so all the branches are in that one place. Just in yeah. case someone goes on vacation and leaves a branch in their home repo. <laughs> <laughs> exactly and then you can't... what we do and why we do it because we had yeah. branches get left in the forks and we had trouble retrieving them. Yeah. I think most organizations probably have it set up that way for that reason, right? Um, okay. I want to pose a question to you guys and... In, in some way, GitHub with these pricing changes appear to be stifling open source collaboration. At the same time, conversely, they are really encouraging open source collaboration by encourage or discouraging private repositories and right. encouraging people to make everything public. 
when I said that earlier, when I said private repository and open source in the same sentence, it just kind of felt wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what do you think? Does, does that completely negate all of the, the negative aspects to it? Should we just say, forget it and make everything public anyway? Well, it saved <laughs> me the money. I mean, you've been doing pretty well on Affiliate WP. It's been public this whole time, right? Yeah, since day one. Yeah. I think the problem, though, is that not not every product is the same, right? Like, you know, if you're building a developer tool, you know, GitHub's kind of where they hang out. So, so yeah. that's not precisely good. why our software licensing app is a private repository because yeah. it's a developer tool. Yeah, and it's it's not that we don't want developers to have access to it. It's just that well, it still needs to be a sustainable business. And while it might be perfectly fine to put it on GitHub, I'm a little leery to make it open to anybody because our customer audience is also our developer audience. For for us, I would put everything public if it came down to it. And we right now, I don't think there'd be any business adverse business effects of it. Right. But who are your customers? Are your customers developers mainly? No, no, definitely not. But right. for you, I would, you know, more than reconsider that. Yeah. Huh. I think what we will probably end up doing is making everything but a few plugins public. And then we will probably just kick everybody off, which is the unfortunate thing. Because I don't like software licensing, for example, we have a lot of WordPress developers that are on there. We have over 50 or 60 people that have access to that that plugin um, in the private repository. And all of them are developers that use it to sell their own plugins. And so we want them in there because we want their feedback. We want, if they submit an, a pull request to it, et cetera. But the unfortunate reality is it's probably not worth $500 a month or four, four or $500 more than we currently pay to have those occasional pieces of feedback for one plugin. Do you guys think that this is a, is kind of unique to the WordPress ecosystem and how businesses are set up, right? Like that, that we have, I mean, how many other projects out there like have the add-on model, right? Like where they, they sell like private, where would they would have private repos of add-ons for this open source product, you know? I'm just trying to think like, I mean, most, most other businesses are SaaS, right? They're not, they're not, uh, they're not, right. you know, distributing. So so did you guys see any any flack outside the WordPress industry um, given to GitHub besides this? I saw a thread on Reddit in the, uh, the web dev subreddit where it was a mix of basically everybody who used GitHub for personal reasons and only had a personal account were thrilled, as they should be. But everybody who had an organization account, most of them were unhappy. Uh, right. And that was definitely outside of the WordPress world. And I, and that's so far been my perception that anybody who has an organization account is unhappy with it be, because it's only organizations that are affected. It's interesting that the individuals are because, you know, if they're successful, they're going to grow into organizations. <laughs> yeah, but no well, one ever looks that far ahead. A lot of people don't <laughs> have foresight for that type of thing. It's not a criticism of them. It's just like at in the in this moment, I'm thrilled because I pay $10 less per month. Woohoo! Yeah. Well, I, I saw some comments on Twitter of people like celebrating and then like like an hour later, they're tweeting like, oh, oh, crap. <laughs> like, <they're> like, 
They're realizing that, you know, it's great for individuals. And then, oh, wait, I'm not just an individual anymore. <laughs> you know, that was my first reaction, too. I saw it. And, like, I read the, like, the, the excerpt of the article. I was like, great. This is awesome. Uh-oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just as a comparison, when we were talking about value-based pricing, I just looked up my Slack bill. <laughs> for for our company and we're only you know we're a small company we've only got eight active slack users right now and our uh well actually the billing's for nine users but so it's 640 dollars a year no 640 dollars is that per year i hope so i hope so oh okay so it's not even close to the same thing no but it is kind of the same problem so it's it's the same reason that i don't pay for slack we use a free Slack account for this exact same reason. And it's because it, the pricing scheme does not encourage organizations with a large number of outside contributors. If I was to pay for a Slack account right now for our three organizations, it will easily cost five or $600 a month. And it's because we have a lot of outside developers and contributors that we have in our Slack accounts so that we can communicate with them. We're not talking to them every single day, but it's it's a very easy way for us to communicate. So if we were to upgrade to a paid account, we would either have to kick everyone out of our Slack account or bite the bullet and pay $500 or $600 a month. The value between what the free version gives and what the paid version gives is not big enough. There's not a big enough divide between those to justify it. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's it's exact, pretty much exactly the same problem as, yeah. as what GitUp's just uh, introduced to itself. Yeah, nice. I feel like I feel like two pricing schemes is not that that customers could choose between that makes more sense for their organization. It's not necessarily, you know, I don't think that should be written off as a better op. Uh, you know, basically them having two different pricing schemes going forward. I don't know if that's even possible, like if they if they're even considering that option. But um, but I, I yeah, don't know. They, like, they let themselves some wiggle room, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we, I, I think we have to be loud. <laughs> like, if, yeah. we, if we want even that to be a possibility, like we're going to have to keep, like, keep complaining. <laughs> I, I saw an interesting tweet that was um, it was like. This GitHub move is equivalent to movable types move to WordPress as it is GitHub to GitLab now. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if I, I said that right, but. No, no I think you, you nailed it. Um, and it's actually exactly what I was about to bring up. I found, I just pulled up the WP Tavern article on it, and there's a bunch of comments in there. And I think uh, JTrip put it perfectly. Um, I got to see if I can pull up his tweet real quick about it. JTrip. <laughs> I haven't heard that before. Oh, John James Jacoby. Yeah. But he put it pretty nicely. Maybe we should maybe define what GitLab is because I, I don't really know what it is. To okay. Be honest. Uh, GitLab is basically a free self-hosted open source version of GitHub. So it is a project that somebody started to basically mimic GitHub's functionality, but in a self-hosted environment where you own your, your code, you own the repositories. It's all installed on your own server, but it has a lot of the same functionality. And it's has been around a while or new or what? It's pretty uh, good. It's really quite a while, I think. So he, he put it pretty nicely. Uh, today is for GitLab what 2007 was for WordPress. If code is poetry, GitLab is your library. Own your code like you own your content. I really like that sentiment. I believe 2007 was r- related to the movable type stuff. 
And so if you want to have complete control over everything and, and you really believe in owning your content and, and stuff, then GitLab is something you should probably consider. Uh, because we have to remember anything we put on GitHub is not ours. GitHub's their ability to change pricing and do anything that they want with it is an example of that. Is that actually now, true though? Like had, that if you put on GitHub, I'm, I'm sure there's some wiggle room there. I'm probably, I'm sure that wouldn't stand I'm up. I'm pretty sure we still copyrights and, and but, all that but, you know, it, It's on their systems. Like if they wanted to suddenly delete it, they probably have that right. And there is stuff that is locked in there, right? Like there is probably some data that, that, I mean, you probably get it out through the API, but I mean, it's it would be a pretty painful process to you'd have to build a migration tool and who knows what. So I just looked up GitLab, uh, their history, and uh, they started. It started as like a a little project in 2011 by uh, some developer, I guess. But it, the company was incorporated in 2014, so you know, a, few, a couple of years ago, and they went through Y Combinator. Uh, it looks like. And so, yeah, seem, they seem pretty legit, right? Like, uh, I know a lot of people that use them. I guess what's concerning to me to, when people suggest, oh, let's, let's just move to this free alternative uh, open source project over here, is that just reminds me of um, track. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then you end up in the situation that people are in today where they're still on track and they're just, and track is not moving forward. With well, you know, it, it's, it's the problem of you build a product. So do you build the tools to build your product yeah. or do you use the tools that someone else built as their product? Um, yeah. I'm not sure rather do the letter. <laughs> I've always been in the mentality that I don't want to build what we use to build our products. I want to build our products and nothing else. If the systems that we rely on to to build our products, if it, if it has a problem, I don't necessarily want to be the one that has to fix it. It's it's the same reason that we went from a custom BB uh, press install that we managed and we built for our support system to Help Scout. Help Scout builds the support system, and when it goes down, their team is on top of it. When our forms install had a problem we were the only ones that were going to take care of it. And any time that we spent building that was time not spent building our product. And I look at things like GitLab the same way. I think they're wonderful tools. They're not something that I personally want to use because of that same reason. Yeah. And they do have an enterprise edition that's hosted on their servers, but then what's the difference between that and GitHub? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess that's the argument though. I think there's an enterprise edition that you can install, self-install too, is there? Uh, I don't know what their business model is. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. I think, Piven, you just summed up my thoughts on, on that. But I think the difference, though, between like um, like a tr going with Track or with, with GitLab is at least GitHub, GitLab has a company behind it. They seem to have like a sustainable business model that is fostering the development and the pushing forward of their open source project. So I'm less, I'm less concerned in this situation than if it's just an open source project run by volunteers with no corporate, no, no, you know, you know, no money behind it because people have to eat, right. You know, developers have to eat too. And so I feel like, I feel like that's that those projects that don't have any corporate backing are, 
are more at risk uh, for stagnation. So that's, I, I guess, why I shy away from those ones. But yeah, this one might be a good, a good alternative. Yeah, I just uh, discovered a, a blog post from GitLab uh, on their blog that is a response to the GitHub pricing increase. Definitely worth a read if this is something that, that interests you. So we'll, we'll make sure to leave that in the show notes. You can find it at uh, gitlab.com and go to their blog. But I was just skimming over it and it seems to be a pretty good uh, response. So definitely an interesting subject. And I think we're going to, in one way or other, I think we're going to see some changes in the next six to 12 months. I don't know what those will be. I'm, I'm hoping there's some adjustment for it because there's not very many people that are going to be okay with going from 25 to 500 or I saw one, I think human made tweeted that their price would go from around 25 or a hundred to over 2000 a month. That's nuts. Right. And remember, like, I think the key detail to remember is with no added value. Right. I, I think one thing when, when people give those numbers, what I would really like to hear is not what your current pricing would be no what the current your current pricing is versus the new pricing what what your base pricing is if you have to eliminate all your outside contributors like if you eliminate all those what's your pricing and then what's your pricing if you keep them right because that's that's the number that that's really having a big impact here right this is this is the the number that's killing collaboration so because we all agree that we don't mind a bump in the price it's just that when the bump in the price is ridiculous <laughs> and we have, then we have to make sacrifices to get that price down. So, yeah. Yeah. Devin, you want to tell everybody real quick where they can find you or if they want to get in touch with you, ask you anything about uh, WordPress or give or any of your other products or projects. Sure. Uh, my personal websites, I'm dev dot in, uh, you can check out, wordimpress.com as well and uh, give wp.com all right thank you so much for coming on Devin thanks guys talk to you next time <laughs>